The metaphor I like to use when it comes to conflict is that it's basically you've got people working together. They come in together. They've got different needs. As a result, things uh, they they will clash, and you know there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of energy, and and that's what conflict is: is an accumulation of of energy. Hello, and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. I'm pleased to say that this podcast is brought to you in association with Lodge Court, who are experts in HR support. Are you worrying about employee performance, absences and leave? Are you struggling with attracting and retaining the best talent for your business? I personally know the people at Lodge Court, and they can support you with every people issue you may face. So focus on what you do best and let LodgeCourt deliver your HR support as an extension of your business with a tailored, flexible monthly routine package that is right for you and your people. Please do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of Alek Gazowski. Uh, good morning to you, Alek. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm well. Good to see you. You are a workplace culture facilitator and a leadership and mindset coach and you're also a, a podcast host of the podcast we got this podcast uh, it's all about company culture and leadership and um, in this episode we're going to be exploring why teams need conflict and how conflict is a, a natural part of collaborate collaboration uh, and it actually is a good thing uh, and by understanding that sort of common response and dynamics you can use them to really propel your team uh, to new heights. But before we get into that conversation, like, uh, what do you love about what you do? Oh, that's a very, very open, open question. I'll, I'll try and tackle that. I think um, there's, there's purpose behind that. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine. I'll, I'll, I'll ask a very similar question as an icebreaker uh, on, on my podcast. So I fully understand the intention. Um, I think what I enjoyed the most is something that fits really with my personality is is being a little bit contrarian and, and somewhat uh, a, a square peg when it comes to it. And I often look through that lens on on culture. I, I believe that we we need a different approach to culture. It's not that we need to throw everything out, uh, but we definitely need to evolve some of the business practices that we've got. And that's how I tend to work with my clients. And actually, that's what I really enjoy doing that element and most of all that moment when when that penny drops for for whoever i'm working with on whatever topic it is you know where we start seeing on the same page and they kind of go oh we can do it differently oh there are you know there is this is what culture is about right for example or this is what leadership looks like or uh, this is what self-leadership looks like or self-management looks like that when that when that penny drops and you can you can sense it you don't have to be in the same room but you can still hear it in somebody's voice if you see it on you see see them on zoom you can you can see that and most of all you can feel that and that's what i really enjoy and when did you realize that's what you enjoyed? When was the moment? Was it in your career? Was it post-career? Was it a revelation outside of your career? I don't think there was one moment when I realized that. I remember the first time I was introduced to the Golden Circle by Simon Sinek and exactly know when that was, where I was, who I was with. Um, and that's kind of what really started me on, on, on this path of what is this self-leadership? What is leadership? What is culture uh, about? And at that time, uh, this probably goes back now at least eight or nine years, if not more than that. And at that time, I was a project manager. And the more I went into that, the more I was focusing and actually paying more attention, not to the spreadsheets and budgets and timelines, but why did the, uh, a project fall over or why was it delayed 
from a people's point of view, from a leader's point of view? What what did I do uh, to you know to make that happen? How did I contribute to that? Or what, what did I not do? How did I not support my teams to be able to deliver online? What was it? What was blocking them? And that's kind of how I went on that on down that path. And we're talking conflict uh, today. Um, it can be perceived as quite a, a negative thing to talk about. Uh, I think most people uh, would shy away from conflict. Um, and so, so with that sort of premise of setting up really well with this one, um, how do how, why do you believe that conflict can actually be really beneficial uh, in within teams? Mm-hmm. The metaphor I like to use when it comes to conflict is that it's basically you've got people working together, they come in together, they've got different needs as a result things uh they they will clash and you know there's a lot of emotion there's a lot of energy and and that's what conflict is is an accumulation of of energy it's this massive bowl that you've got in front of you that you're trying to control contain in one way or another and what do we tend to do is that we often pretend that we we don't know how to deal with that so that it's not there um or but we've got a choice we can either try and handle it so that to harness all that power, all that energy, all those emotions that is in it, or uh, we can try and sweep it under the carpet, pretend that uh, it's not there. Sooner or later, somebody's going to uh, trip over it, first of all. Second of all, it often actually blows up in your face and destroys everything in the vicinity. Uh, I'm of, of, the, of the mindset that it's better to actually try and resolve conflict. And that conflict is not bad, because if you look at it through the lens of team development, it, that's what needs to happen um in in one of the stages that's actually a necessary aspect because conflict is simply a natural part of people working together uh it's not feasible i don't think i'm not that much of an idealist to believe that everybody can get along perfectly 100 percent of the time we need conflict's a natural part of collaboration we just need to learn what to do what to do with it and how to handle it and i guess you're almost getting us to think a bit differently about it because as soon as you mentioned conflict it, it feels like you're going into battle which obviously that's where the word comes from and um you're huckering down and you're putting the arbor on and and an adrenaline flow there's an emotional reaction when sort of conflict is said or or felt isn't it and so how how is it before we dive into the teams but how, how as an individual how can we sort of handle that because it naturally gets our back up and you know because it, it's it, it's perceived as a, an unpleasant thing how do we sort of i guess reframe it and shift it into a way that's not so you know fight or flight <laughs> sort of um um kicking in into our system but actually you're right it often is because of how we perceive how we kind of define conflict it, we we tend to we tend to tense up biological reactions and psychological reactions emotional actions those that's what's happening but then if you look at what conflict is, there are multiple definitions, right? You, you Google it, uh, at least half a dozen are going to come up. The one that I often like to use, and this really works on an individual point, from an individual individual points of view, is that you've got a need. And um, then I've got a need as well. Um, and my need, for some reason, I've got this perception that your need or somebody else is blocking my need, which is causing me frustration. And this is the key word in that is the perception. I think that something or somebody is blocking my need and that's causing me frustration. And the important bit, that that doesn't constitute a conflict yet. What constitutes conflict is what you do as a result of that. Hmm. Uh, Your actions, your behaviors uh, through that. And we often try and kind of think it's that it's my need or your need. It's one or the other, that it's binary. It's either or, uh, either or. Whilst 
in reality, be it's better to look at as much as possible um, through, a, through a lens in a scenario of both and. I've got my need, you've got your need. How can we make this work? And based based on that, you can you've got a few ways you can tackle it. Um, I I often refer to Thomas Kilman's uh, model instrument for for conflict. Uh, uh, by the way, I'll I'll send you a link afterwards with a little goodie uh, with some of the resources of the things that we might cover and your your listeners might find uh, of interest when it comes to conflict. But basically, the model said it looks at it. You know how how we respond to conflict based on that definition of needs. I've got a need. If I'm gonna put my need over your need, I'm competing. But then if I'm I'm going to put your need over mine the other way around, basically then I'm accommodating. Or if I don't put, if I don't think of my need or your need at all, I'm basically just avoiding things. Ultimately, we want to be in a scenario where my need is met and your need is met. That's true collaboration. But we often need to be careful so that we're not actually compromising. It's, it's a nice stepping stone towards collaboration. But often we kind of say, We'll we'll compromise. We'll take a bit of my need, a bit of your need, works to move things forward, but over the long run, causes problems. And I think if we start looking at conflict through the lenses of needs and how that fits into for me individually, but then throughout uh, within a team and throughout an organization, that gives us more scope to kind of understand conflict better and deal with it better as a result. So you introduced the word collaboration there, but the thing that struck me with with what you just explained there almost felt like a negotiation there so you've got you've got a need they've got a need and and sometimes negotiation can be a little bit you know conflict sort of approaches and it's how you approach it and, and that's not helpful actually but if you collaborate which is almost a little bit putting everything on the table and getting different perspectives and starting to think how can we make this fit work for both of us and, and, and not the old adage cliche win-win but a little bit more um, you know, the sum of the parts are greater than the individual yeah. parts mindset. Yeah. It's, it's a slightly different perspective, isn't it? And it and it requires a little bit of, um, I suppose, a bit, bit of risk to it because you're not entirely sure what the outcome is going to be, is it? That, that's that's mm -hmm. always the thing with that. So you're, you're, you're putting your bit on and they've got their bit and you're not entirely sure where it's going to end entirely because, yeah. So, yeah. You're right that it's kind of negotiation, um, but there's there's two things uh, about what you said. One, one of the main reasons I think I think it uh, feels like negotiation is because we still operate from an either or scenario. Whilst if you if you move to both and that I can have my need met and your you can have your need met, where we are more likely to collaborate and kind of for this to go slightly smoother and for us without feeling neither of us feeling that we're sacrificing that's the first thing the second thing and i think this is the most important one is bef before all of this you and i need to realize our needs individually what they are and i think that's the biggest struggle right when something happens when you're working in a team and you feel threatened uh why is that why what did that what what button was pushed for you to feel this way does it have some anything to do with what the person said and did and the project or did that push something much much deeper that you haven't yet realized you know some some sort of uh, emotional trauma from 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 when you were younger i'm not a psychologist i'm really fascinated by the topic but you know a lot of it does uh, link to the triggers that we've got so it's, it's almost that's interesting isn't it it's almost taking it to a, <clears throat> a real self-awareness point of view isn't it trying to get and understanding why certain behavior or somebody proposed something, why did that trigger me? What, what, what was going on there rather than, as you say, it's not always the, on the surface of what it was they'd said. It's, it's something else going on. 
how within a team then do we use or I suppose embrace conflict because you said that you know conflict is part of the whole press of press of building a you know a successful team. How do how as a leader do they need to help manage conflict and you know do they just let it happen and just sort themselves out or is there a way of of, of facilitating an environment that will really help um, conflict resolution or use it in a positive way? Yeah. Um- as I said earlier, it's conflict is a natural form, natural part of collaboration, and it's one of the stages of team development. Two, the, the two most famous probably models of state of team development, Tuckmans, where you've got forming, storming, uh, a clue there, uh, norming and performing, right? And then you've got adjoining, uh, adjoining. I think, but the last is the last one. Um, a slightly slight variation of that is Susan Whelan's model uh, of integrated model of group development, if I believe it's called. Second stage basically builds on Tuckman. Uh, the main difference is that um, termination, which is the fifth stage, can happen at any stage. It's less, less linear, if that makes sense. And so understanding the stages of team development, what's meant to happen when and what leadership style is required is the first protocol for any leader in my book. Uh, naturally, leaders will fall into certain uh, kind of predispositions and what what they've what leader style, leadership style they've got, and that will fit with one of the stages. And there will be some that you know they're less comfortable with. But if you look at the second stage, uh, is about counter de- counter dependency and fighting. First of all. It's it's natural, as I said. I, I love that fight. It's already got the word fighting. It, it's got it. fighting in it. There's no. There's no. There's literally no. No. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's taking bush. that's taking conflict to to to, to a graphic illustration of here it's fighting now <laughs> it's fighting actually i need to look at when i don't remember when this model was developed uh, it does uh, go back probably a, a, quite a few years uh, you know slightly less politically correct times therefore probably the word fighting is there but then what's the point of you know beating around the bush name it uh, call it as you see it um so it, it's it's normal Every, in the first stage. Everybody's coming together. Everybody's nice. Everybody's polite. And by the way, this doesn't apply just to teams at work. This applies to any kind of group. You can probably relate that to uh, you know meeting new people on a networking event, becoming part of a new community, and things like that. Or when you're a student as well, when you go to university, for example. At first, everybody gets along because everybody wants to sit at the table. Um, and then the different role of a leader is required. But in the second stage, everybody's trying to kind of, the team, if we link it back to work, the team's trying to develop its identity. It's trying to question, it will start questioning things, right? It, for, subgroups will start forming. Uh, the team will have need for independence. They will be seeking their roles. They kind of will be pushing the boundaries of what's possible. They will be pushing the leader in terms of what, what, what they get from him, what they want from him, what are the rules and the regulations, and trying to set that up. So it's normal that there's going to be friction as a result of that. And also, then this is this is the key that's often missing. This is where performance dips. And it needs to dip because they need time and energy to resolve all of these issues before moving further on. By the way, these models are not linear. If a lot of them suggest that suggest that, but it's not linear, it's not as simple. But it just kind of using as as a as a guide, it's really, really helpful. What do leaders need to do in in particular sense? The the, the the leadership style that's required in this is uh, coaching, clearly. Uh, and the first one is kind of directing where you're really telling people what to do and when and how because they need that guidance from you. But in the second one, you need to step back as a leader. 
you need to adapt more of a coaching mindset. And this is what very, a lot of leaders find difficult because they still want to maintain that initial control. But actually, in reality, they need to start letting go because the ultimate aim is at the end of you know stage four or five, depending which model you use, you want to be completely outside the team. The team needs to be self-sufficient. You, you're supposed to be there to support them when they need you, not mm. you running the show. So from a point of view of a coach, obviously build the relationships, help teams resolve that con- conflict around goals, roles, and kind of leadership, because that's what's going to come up. Um, facilitate that collaboration, but don't think, don't think and take things personally, because that's often what happens. Uh, the leader thinks, you know, this is on me. This is something that I'm doing. Not necessarily, you know, it's, it's them. They need to sort it out. You've got, you've got a team of five, 10, 12 people, whatever, they need to work it out themselves because the aim is that you will be kind of leaving them. You will be further outside of that team more and more as the team matures. So clarify the goals, clarify roles, uh, coach for openness and vulnerability because ultimately that's what, that's what we want and steer conflict towards the matters at hand of what it is about rather than things getting personal because often it can be people will feel offended emotions will start to boil over and people will start taking things personally when there's actually no need for that to happen and when you're in that sort of fighting mode or conflict mode or or phase um how can we decipher and it's gonna be quite difficult sometimes i think when somebody has has crossed the line in that scenario and you know, it's gone from a sort of a healthy sort of conflict, whatever healthy conflict is. I mean, that's, that's, that's probably a very subjective thing to what I would call more toxic, perhaps more harmful. You know, how do we decipher that? And then, and, and as a leader, what sort of intervention would you do to try and get it back to be more healthy sort of, uh, um, sort of conflict? Hmm. It- at that stage, you will already start having uh, some norms and rules of how you want teams to work together. They're still going to be pushing it. They're still going to be trying to challenge it, but you will have a baseline. So first point of call is how, how far off that baseline is somebody pushing it? What type of behavior is causing it? And most of all, how is it impacting the team? Because you've got, you know, you've got the classic example that you've got uh, tox- a toxic top performer within an organization of a team. What do you do with them? You know, they continue bringing in the money because they're the best sell, um, salesperson in the company. But ultimately, in the long run, it's not helping us have a healthy culture, healthy, healthy team. So looking at that, that's the first part of going, kind of monitoring that. Um, as, as a leader, again, um, I'm always steering towards letting the team self-regulate itself because I'm, I'm a big believer in self-managed teams, uh, that we need definitely more of that. And, um, I would suggest trying to encourage the team to to self-regulate to kind of see, okay, was it what are you seeing? Right. So again, adapting that coaching mindset rather than providing answers, because ultimately this is what you're trying to create. You're trying to give the team more autonomy for the sim- for the simple reason. Imagine that six months down the line, when ho- hopefully the team is more mature, you want to take a sabbatical for two months, but the team needs to still continue running. Right. That's mm-hmm. the kind of uh, cliche cliche example. How is the, how are they going to cooperate without without you? This is the stages when you're building the the foundations for that. And how do we, you know, we when you've got an established team, they've all, you know, worked out the the group norms, what the boundaries are, uh, how each other's works, uh, and there's still probably, you know, at, at points a little bit of conflicts and and probably I say healthy conflicts 
as you say, the the models are are not sort of linear. That you you go bounce around a little bit within that concept. When you bring two, two new team members in, um, which again changes that dynamics again. How do we sort of ensure that we get integration, but not an integration that just levels everything, but actually brings more value to that team because that's why mm-hmm. you're bringing new, new team members in because you know i'm just going to the lowest common denominator actually to raise the game and and potentially could be an outside threat when many mm-hmm. team members come which can cause that so how do we sort of use that approach to create that sort of not just stabilizing but using a way that's really positive for team performance the the, the fact is and this is often omitted is that when you've got a manager changing when there's somebody leaving the team or join the team, the clock resets, you're back to square one. So you're still, you're again going through those stages. You're still, you're, you're back to the drawing board. So as a leader, when you've got somebody new coming in, you again need to adapt that different, more, more of a directing mindset within, within your organization. Not to the extreme. It's not as, as you know, starting a completely new team, but you need to revert through that. So again, conflict will continue to happen. The team will, will require more guidance for you. So again, you have to step in. Um, Likelihood is, you know, you're going to move. You're going to move through these stages because the team's mature, so it's easier to kind of and it's got its way of working. It's going to uh, and new somebody new comes in. It will it will potentially destabilize it, as you said. But hopefully, uh, that the person that joins the team has been picked and recruited in mind with how this team works. Right? It's not about if you've got a well-oiled machine and the, the team's working well, you don't want to introduce somebody who um, might destabilize that. So first thing is you make sure that the person that you you're putting in that team actually has the same mindset similar values understands what it is whether they're from within the organization or somebody new when you're recruiting them make sure that you kind of uh check for that and the second thing is conflict will always happen yes it's the biggest accumulation is around the earlier stages but as as we said earlier it's a natural part of collaboration so it will happen right and i'm not naive enough to think that it won't um at later stages it's but again it will be easier to to deal with whatever's happening because there are so many things that that are defined we're familiar with working with one another i know what makes me tick i know what makes you t- you tick and how kind of we can manage uh, that in a in a collaborative way and, and what would be, from a leader's point of view, the obstacles for, I guess, this not happening, you know, this sort of process or or the fear of conflict and wanting to sort of keep everything sort of nice? What, what, would, what would get in the way of all that? And and how, as a leader or even as a team, how do we overcome those sort of those challenges? Uh, the most common one I see is uh, leaders, the leadership styles. We've got natural ones that we fall into. And uh, they work with parts of how the maturity of the team, different stages. And as the team, the, the more mature the team is, the less they need you. Therefore, you kind of more and go into kind of a collaborative, a visionary style. And that's what a lot of leaders find very difficult. So I would say if you are struggling, if the team is not performing, if you're not happy, first of all, look at yourself. How are you managing your mm. team? What are you doing? Are you relinquishing control? Because if you know, it might it might be that the leader is actually holding the a team back from uh, maturing, from becoming a better organization, better team, and better group of people working together. Simply because they are again, you know, they're attached to that control element, that directing element, that everything needs to go through them. 
And I'm not saying, I'm not talking here about toxic leaders. I'm talking here about uh, leaders who might simply be doing that without realizing subconsciously. They've never mm. thought about it. They never uh, had the proper uh, support or the coaching from mentoring from, from higher ups within the organization. Uh, because let's face it, people get promoted into managerial and a leadership role, but pretty much most of the time get abandoned in that they're trained how to do their job but they're not trained how to mm. lead people. And I think that's that's the, the, the a huge piece that's missing. So for me, always as a leader, always check in with yourself, what it is that you're doing that you're contributing. And if you can honestly mm. say that you feel this is nothing to do with you, that the ways you are contributing are minimal, that's fine. Okay, look look beyond how, what is it with the team norms? What is it with the team dynamics? Uh, is the setup, you know, have you got a toxic performer within, within your team or toxic underperformer? You just mentioned there almost your leadership style changes as the, the team sort of changes here. So you talked about that, you know, towards the end when it's it, it's fully functioning and you go to more of a collaborative or visionary type of approach. Just talk us through the different stages. What what What's the approach of that leader at the sort of different stages of, of, sort of team development to, to get the best out of team, to make sure the team not only gels, but becomes that high-performing teams that you mm -hmm. expect? Uh in the first stages, depending whether it doesn't matter really with where, whether you use Tuckman, Susan Whelan or whatever, the first one when the team comes together, they need clear direction. So your, your, your leadership style is that it's directing the work, everything that needs to happen, um, uh, roles, structures, purpose, goals, you name it. That's, that's what you need to do. Everybody's basically, everybody's looking at you. You're standing on the stage. Everybody's looking at you. Uh, second one is coaching. So, um, you need to start re 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 releasing some of the control. You need to encourage autonomy and for people to start handling conflict and things like that, uh, on, uh, the round. Uh, therefore you kind of, they're still looking at you, but they're already talking with one another. So you kind of still in the center, but there's things going on around you. And the third, and the third one would be collaborative where you, uh, step out. You're, you're not in the center anymore. You're kind of one of the people that they consult. So you're kind of more collaborative. You're letting the team take on more responsibility. You delegate, uh, you facilitate and encourage participation and basically encouraging questioning, questioning um, uh, kind of how to, how to support, how things are done. And in the last bit is, which is kind of where you take on a visionary role. You basically, if you think that your team is here, you, at the start, you were in the center. Now your team is here, you're here. You're just outside of it. You, you connected with them through a dotted line indi indirectly in a way, because they are running the show. They, they need you not as a safety net, but okay. Um, we're stuck. We don't know how to do. We need additional support. We need, uh, I don't know, leverage, or we need uh, somebody to step in for us at a, a more senior level within the organization. We get the leader in, right? So it's about supporting and removing any roadblocks to the team uh, achieving that high performance to whatever their goals are and setting new goals, new objectives together with the team and not for the team, but together with them. Yeah, and I think it's really important to, to recognize that, you know, we need to sort of adapt our 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 leadership style in the context of, of how teams change. Cause I think some people have a style and we all have a, an authentic style clearly in how we operate. Um, but we need to be more situationally focused as well. And I think observing what's going on with the team and, and what's then best for them, how can I serve them? And, and I think that's good to know. And I think it's important to know because I think people just think, Oh, this is my style. Like it or lump it. <laughs> just, that's how I will do it. But if you want high performance, um, you need to sort of modify and be agile in that approach. Um, is there any sort of final thoughts in terms of 
you know, any other examples you've got where you've seen conflict as being a real uh, accelerator of team performance? Um, I'd like to come back to the one thing that you said just now about kind of evolving the uh, the leadership styles in different stages. One thing to do uh, that we organizations can consider doing, and I've seen it happen, it's not ideal because it's destabilizing a little bit, but if you've got organizations and teams and leaders who are very, very good at certain stages, you, yes, you can help them through developing different leadership styles. But then one thing to consider uh, works really well for the early stages is you know moving managers around. Um, when you've got a mature team, although if you injected a new or semi-mature team, if you injected a new manager, the clock would reset on them and mm -hmm. on that team, but they would quicker come up to the, those later stages again because the team's matured. So that's one thing potentially uh, to consider. But in terms of conflict and how how we can use that, again, look at where the frictions are. But the most important thing is don't don't avoid don't be scared of it we we tend to avoid it simply because we don't know what to do with it but if you start looking at conflict through the uh, you know the lens of needs and understanding uh, what's meant to happen at which stage of, of of a team's development and how you fit into that as a leader things will be i don't want to say easy but easier to to maintain and if you are interested in all of all of this uh the kind of the theory all the all the stages of development that i've mentioned um I'll, I'll share the link with you, uh, Julian, later on. It's, if you go to human.pm forward slash conflict, you'll find a few links and a few resources that I've mentioned here specifically uh, about today, kind of link to that. So mm, feel free to to check that out uh, and it will hopefully make more sense uh, even further when you kind of dive into that topic. Yeah, and I think it's important that, I think you said that right at the start, is I must have that different reframe perspective on what conflict is and seeing it actually as a, it's a positive thing that can really enable team performance. Um, thank you for your insights, uh, Lek. If people want to connect, you've already said uh, there's a link there, but if people want to connect with you, get in touch with you, uh, how else might they do that? Uh, LinkedIn is the, the the best protocol. Uh, I'm there way too too many hours every day, uh, but that's definitely the easiest place to to do. Uh, through through that website, you'll be able to find all the resources that I've mentioned, and uh, some culture and micro practices will be there related specifically to conflict. Uh, and that's probably the two easiest ways to to keep up with what I'm doing. And if you want to chat or a virtual coffee, just drop me a line on LinkedIn. Brilliant. Well, thank you for your time today, Lek. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you like this episode, then please rate, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, I coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions, and it will help you go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation. You can contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.